Good morning, everybody. Great to see you in the house today. Hey, we are going to uh, take the Lord's Supper together today. And so if you did not receive this cup as you came in the door, would you please raise your hand and keep that up so that we can bring it to you, okay? Raise it up so somebody can bring it right to you, all right? Thank you very much. Uh, you know, we are in our series 316, and we've covered a lot of ground uh, so far. Uh, we have, um, uh, we, we looked at the importance of salvation by looking at John 3.16. Then we looked at the importance of God's word by looking at 2 Timothy 3.16. Then last week, we looked at the importance of God's family uh, with Colossians 3.16. Uh, but today we're going to look at another 3.16 in the Bible, and that is Revelation 3.16. So if you got your Bible, why don't you open it up with me? Revelation, last book of the Bible, uh, chapter three, uh, verse 16. All right, Revelation 3.16. While you're turning there, uh, I want you to take a look at this picture behind me. And uh, what, what, do you, what, what do you see in this picture? Go ahead and shout it out. What do you see in this picture? All right, somebody surfing, that's right. Uh, that, that guy, man, it's a beautiful day. He's living his fullest life. He's probably catching, he's probably his first time to Hawaii or maybe California. He's been saving up for this day. He's out there living it. Living large, right? It's a great, great, great day. Now let me just expand this picture a little bit to actually see what is happening here. <laughs> what else do you see in there? Yeah, a shark. <laughs> that's a problem, right? Maybe it wasn't so great a day for him, right? Yeah, that's it. just kind of just below the surface. Maybe he doesn't even see it. Maybe he's not even aware. But just under the surface, there is a real Danger, a real danger. And that picture really summarizes Revelation chapter three. Jesus is writing to a church and he's gonna reveal to them a hidden danger. This danger was very true for them and it is very true for us. That danger is very present even today. And it may be something that you're so unaware of, but it's actually happening to you. And so I want us to lean in on what the Lord has to say to us. And by the way, this, this message has been so heavy on my heart all week, uh, this week. I would like for us just to stop and to pray and ask God to open our eyes to see what he wants us to see. So would you do that with me? Lord, we, we love you. And God, we really need to hear from you. So Lord, I pray as we open up your word, I pray that your spirit, your Holy Spirit would uh, convict and enlighten us and help us to see what you see. And Lord, we pray that you would do a good work, a deep work in our hearts today. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen, amen. Revelation chapter three, and uh, we're gonna begin in verse uh, 14. This is the word of God. He said, write to the angel of the church in Laodicea, Thus says the amen, the faithful and true witness, the originator of God's creation. Now stop right there for just a minute. Uh, this is going uh, to be a letter that we're looking at. And right off the bat, we're told who the letter is to and who the letter is from. Right off the bat, we learn that this letter is written to the church at Laodicea. See that? The church at Laodicea. Now, what, what do we know about Laodicea. Uh, well, 
we know that the city of Laodicea was located in Asia Minor. Here's a map that kind of depicts that. It was a, located in Asia Minor, modern day Turkey. It was part of a kind of a tri-city cluster with Laodicea, Colossae, and Hierapolis right there in close proximity together. Laodicea was on a upper plain, really overlooking all the other areas around it. If you had one word to describe Laodicea, it would be wealthy. It was a very, very wealthy city. It had a thriving economy. It had uh, uh, bustling markets and trade. Uh, it, they had large, massive entertainment centers and theaters. It was a very, very wealthy place. In fact, uh, in, in those days, in those ancient times, a normal house was quite small, maybe the size of a room in your house or maybe as big as your garage. Uh, if you've been with me to Israel, you've seen how small these little homes can be. But when they excavated Laodicea, they found massive homes. Homes that would rival, rival the size of our own homes today, some two, 3,000 square feet. It was a very, very wealthy place. Think of prosperity. Think of opulence. Think of uh, crazy money. Laodicea was the Upper East Side of Manhattan. It was a Rodeo Drive of, of their day. In fact, here's a picture of the actual ruins of Laodicea. But uh, one of the reasons why I show this to you is because in 60 AD, there was a terrible earthquake that decimated many of the cities in this region. And Laodicea refused government money to rebuild the city on their own dime. Uh, Tacitus, the Roman historian, said one of the most famous cities of Asia, Laodicea, was in the same year overthrown by an earthquake and without any relief from us, recovered itself by its own resources. It was just a very wealthy, prosperous place to live. It was where the wealthy people lived. It was that part of town. Now, Laodicea was wealthy for several reasons. I already said the bustling markets and trade routes and so on. But they also had some uniquenesses to them. One is that they manufactured a certain type of cloth, really was an extract of wool, that was a black cloth that was very elite. And people used it all over the region. So they manufactured these textiles and, and black cloth. They also uh, had some medical advances there, particularly in the, in the area of ophthalmology. And, and some, it's interesting, you look back at the historic history of ophthalmology, some of the earliest diagnoses of eye disease and, and treatments of eye disease go all the way back to the, to the uh, doctors and uh, researchers in Laodicea. Fascinating. Uh, so there was a lot going on in Laodicea. It was a great place to live. If you, were, if you were moving on up, you moved into Laodicea. However, there was kind of one thing that wasn't so great about Laodicea, and that was the water supply. The water supply was not great. They, did, they were not located right next to a consistent um, reservoir of water. And so 
The Romans literally piped in water to Laodicea from various sources. I already told you about the other two close cities. Hierapolis was known for their hot mineral baths, uh, those hot springs that they thought had medicinal uh, benefit. And so some of those, the hot water was piped into Laodicea. Also, uh, Colossae was known for its cool water, its cool springs. And so that water was also piped into Laodicea. But of course, these were ancient Roman aqueducts. And so by the time the hot water left Hierapolis and the cold water left Colossae, by the time it finally got to Laodicea, well, it was, it was not so great. It wasn't really hot at all. It wasn't really cold at all. It was just kind of blah in the middle. In fact, you can just imagine the people in Laodicea were always complaining and grumbling about this lukewarm water that uh, never really could refresh or soothe. Um, that was the context of this church. This church was located in this prosperous city of Laodicea. That's who the letter is to. Uh, who's the letter from? Well, we're told right off the bat in this first couple of verses, this first verse, uh, Jesus is described in three ways. Look at it. He's described as the amen. Somebody say that. Amen. amen. Yeah. What does that mean? You know, people say amen, right? When I'm preaching, hopefully somebody will say amen, right? And uh, what does that mean? Well, actually, Jesus used this word 24 times in the book of Matthew when he would say, truly, truly, I say to you. That word truly is the same word for amen. It means that's true. That's true. That's right. Uh, that is, that's the final word. That's the good word. And so Jesus is called the one who is right, the one who is the final word. And what that tells us is whatever Jesus says is the final word. He is the final word. It goes on to say here, he's faithful and true witness. Jesus is about to share some things to this church that are gonna be hard to hear. They're gonna be things even today that are hard for us to, to fully appreciate and fully hear. And yet what Jesus says and how Jesus sees things are faithful and true. Just not uh, candy coating anything. He's not whitewashing anything. He's going to tell you the truth. He is a faithful and true witness. And then it also says here, he is the creator, or some versions say originator of all things. The word there is arche, which we get architect from or archbishop from, the highest place, the chief, the source of. That Jesus is the creator of all things. He's the source of all things. He's the one that created everything. Colossians 1.15 says, all things were created by him and for him. And that includes you and me. So here is Jesus, the creator of all things, the faithful and true witness who has the final word. And he's about to weigh in on how he sees this church. So let's take a deep breath and then read what he has to say. Look at verse 15. He said, I know your works, that you were neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were cold or hot, but because you are lukewarm and neither hot or cold, I'm going to vomit you out of my mouth. He says, I know your works. In other words, Jesus is like, man, I see you. I see what you're going, what you're saying. I see what you're doing. I see how you're living. None of this is, is outside of my clear view 
of what's happening in your life. Jesus sees you, Jesus sees me. We're not hiding anything from him. He said, I know your works. And he said, you know what I see when I look at you? When I look at you, you know what I see? I see that, look at verse 16. I see that you are lukewarm. Man, you're not hot. You're not cold. You're just like your water. Blah. Lukewarm. And what does that really mean uh, for us to be lukewarm or for a church to be uh, lukewarm? What does that mean? You know, cold has its place, right? I mean, if you're working out in the yard and it's 110 degrees and you've been out there and it's hot, man, all you want is, is just a nice cold uh, drink of water, man, or just some cold iced tea. Woo, wouldn't that be great? Just start up, you just drink it down. It just refreshes you and revitalizes you. Cold has its place. And hot has its place, man. If it's cold outside, all you want to do is get around. You'll get your hands around a, a warm or hot, piping hot cup of coffee or, or hot tea or maybe a bowl of warm soup. And it soothes you and warms you on the inside. Warm has its place. Uh, cold has its place. But, but lukewarm doesn't do anything. Nobody ever asks for lukewarm anything. It doesn't warm you. It doesn't comfort you. It doesn't refresh you. It, it just is meaningless. It's useless. And man, if you get a hold of some lukewarm coffee, right, or something like that, man, you're just going to spit that thing out, right? Because it's yuck. Who wants that? Nobody wants that. Give me hot. Give me cold. Whatever you do, don't give me lukewarm. And that's exactly what Jesus is saying here. How does he feel about uh, lukewarm uh, churches? Lukewarm Christians. Well, verse uh, NIV puts it this way, kind of nicely. I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. That's kind of the nice version, all right? Uh, a little more intense version is King James. I'm going to spew you out of my mouth, all right? I kind of picture, you know? Uh, but the, but the uh, Christian Standard Bible probably says it the most uh, graphic. I'm going to vomit you out of my mouth. It's kind of a graphic picture, isn't it? And that makes me sick to my stomach when I see that. I remember uh, years and years ago when our girls were little, uh, somehow we got into some bad food, man. I mean, we, we, I think it was food poison because all of us were sick that one night. Uh, you've probably been there. And I remember our oldest daughter, she was little at the time. She came into our bedroom and she said, mom and dad, and kind of woke me up. She said, I feel sick. And then before I could get out of the bed, bleh, just right on the carpet, just, just right there. I'm like, couldn't you make it to the toilet? You know, bleh, bleh, right there. So I'm up and I'm trying to help her and kind of clean up everything. And then I noticed that she'd actually started throwing up in her bedroom and kind of threw up a trail all the way through the house uh, to our room. So we had just a trail of puke. Uh, welcome to Cross Creek Church, by the way. <laughs> I, and by the way, I know you got some of your own vomit stories, so you can share those over lunch. That would be awesome. <laughs> yeah. But, but here's, what, here's what Jesus is saying. Don't miss it. He's saying, listen, when I see a person who claims to follow me that is lukewarm, it makes me sick to my stomach. Man, I just want to throw up. I want to just throw up. I just want to vomit when I see that. I don't know about you. I don't want Jesus to look at my life and be sick to his stomach. Do you? 
What made this church so lukewarm? Well, think about it this way. If you get a cold drink out of the refrigerator, all right, nice cold drink out of the refrigerator, and you set it on the counter, and you let it sit there for a full day, and you come back to that maybe the next morning, what's happened to that cold drink of water? Well, it's become kind of, it's acclimated to its environment, right? You take a hot cup of coffee, you just poured it out of the, out of the, uh, out of the Keurig there and, and you just set it right down there on the counter. What's gonna happen over about a day? It's gonna lose its heat and it's just gonna acclimate to room temperature. And he said, this is what's happened with this church, man. They were so on fire for God. They were so refreshing in their love for other people. But somehow along the way, they just sat there long enough and they started to acclimate to the temperature of the culture around them. And now they're no longer any different. That's what it means to be lukewarm. That you're no longer any different. Then the, then the culture around you, you're no longer different. You're no longer distinguishable. You're no longer useful to God. You're just like everybody else. And why does this make Jesus sick? When a church or Christians become so much like the culture, they're no longer any different. Why does that make him sick to his stomach? Well, I think it makes him sick for a lot of reasons. I think one reason it makes him sick is because it's really an offense to God's grace, right? I mean, after all, if Jesus really did see us in our sinful state and he came on a rescue mission and he died on the cross and he took on your sin and he suffered the wrath of God in your place and he was buried and he rose again on the third day and you look at him and you go, thanks Jesus for saving me, now leave me alone. How much more offensive can you be? They say, I'm going to live my own life. I'm going to do my own thing. I don't really care anymore. That, that is an offense to the grace of God. To care more about what other people think about you than what God thinks about you. I can't think of anything more sickening to Jesus. Another reason why I think it's offensive is because this is the main reason why so many people who do not know Jesus don't want to follow Jesus because they see people who claim to be Christian, they're living just like everybody else. I mean, how many times, you know, people go, well, yeah, man, I've seen that guy at the office and he claims to be, he goes to church, but man, he'll mess you around on a, on a deal or he talks just like everybody else. I don't want to be like him. And so hell is filled with people that were turned off by lukewarm Christians. And turn their back on the gospel. I think even more than that, I think what makes Jesus sick about it is that I think this is the key strategy of Satan. Because listen, uh, the church has never been overcome and diminished by outward, uh, outward pressure. Right? I mean, church has been, the church of Jesus Christ has been persecuted throughout generations, right? The outward pressure, outward persecution doesn't stop the church. If anything, it fuels the church. But, but what does stop the church is inward corruption. And when the church just gets off course and, and thinks, man, if we could be more like the world, then the world will like us. And if they like us, then they'll like Jesus. And that kind of mentality that we've just got to be more accepting and more, more palatable and more like the culture, the more we become like that, the less we look different than the culture, the more we acclimate to the culture that we live in. 
And then all of a sudden we're not hot for Jesus and we're not cold and refreshing in our love for others. We're just blah, lukewarm and of no use. I think that's why Jesus hates it. Listen, lukewarm Christianity is the hidden danger of our day. It is the hidden danger. It is like the cancer that infects the body of Christ. It's like a, an infection that can uh, take out our uh, vitality. It is a hidden danger. Let me ask you something. Are you lukewarm? Are you lukewarm? You say, well, Craig, I, I, I don't know. I mean, I hope not. I, how, how would I know if I'm lukewarm? Well, I believe Jesus gives us three signs that point to the fact that you may be becoming lukewarm. I want you to look at, look at verse 17. He says, for you say, I am rich. I have become wealthy and need nothing. And you don't realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. Wow, those are hard words, right? So, so how would I know if I'm lukewarm? Let me give you three signs. You're, you're becoming lukewarm when, all right, number one, uh, when you lose your desperation for God. This is really at the core self-sufficiency. Notice what they say, I need nothing. Man, I don't need God in my life. I've got every, I've got my savings, you know, I'm, I'm going to eat all right. I can do what I want to do. I don't need God in my life. I, I, I pull myself up by my own bootstraps. I got myself to where I am today. I'm successful because of my hard work and ingenuity and my education. I built this company. I built this life. I don't really need God. I'm completely self-sufficient. Now, listen, some of you might say, well, Craig, man, I would never, I would never say that. I would never say those words. But listen, your self-sufficiency is not revealed in the words you say. It is revealed in the things that you do or don't do. When you are prayerless and you don't spend time on your knees crying out to God. When you don't spend time in God's word for days or weeks or months when, when, when gathering with God's people is no priority to you, when, when the things of God become optional but not vital, when you no longer want to serve him or worship him, then you're saying loud and clear, God, I really don't need you. Psalm 42, one says, as a deer longs for those streams, so I long for God. That never crosses the mind of a lukewarm person. Number two, you become lukewarm when you prioritize material things. Look at what they say, I am rich, I become wealthy. Literally, in the Greek, it says, I have it, I did it. I have it and I created it. What I have is what I built. Remember how wealthy they were? We know what we have. We can take care of things on our own. We've built it on our own. And this idea of wealth and possession became a, an obsession for this church. And wealth and possessions, career, entertainment, 
slowly became their focus. Listen, the same thing can happen to you. Your wealth, your entertainment, your next purchase, what you have, what you don't have, can quickly become your primary uh, focus. Listen, this may be you when, if you talk more about your hobbies than you talk about spiritual things. This may be you when you're more excited about your next vacation trip than you are what God's doing around the world. This may be you when you are more upset about losing money on an investment than that your neighbors are lost and far from God. And how easily this can just infiltrate our minds and how easily it can become a part of who we are and we don't even see it. It is a, it is a hidden danger. So I'm going to show up one day on your front porch and say, hey, I'm Mr. Lukewarm. I'm going to come invade. You know what? It just insidiously sinks into our souls. When you prioritize material things, you know, we're, there are church planters that we support that live in very dangerous places. I mean, where they, they can be killed for sharing the gospel. And many times uh, we will say to them, hey, we're, we're praying for you guys. We know how dangerous it is for you to go and share the gospel. And so we're praying for you that God will protect you and watch over you. And they're so thankful for our prayers. But many times they will turn to us and say, but we're praying for you because we know how dangerous it is for you to try to preach the gospel in such a, a wealthy country. They understand the danger. Do you? Listen, you can become lukewarm when you lose your desperation for God. You become lukewarm when you prioritize material things. Here's a third one. You become lukewarm when you're blind to your own sin. Look at what Jesus said. You don't realize that you're wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. Now listen, these are offensive words to this well-to-do church, right? Now you don't get it. You think you're so wealthy and you think that you're, you're clothed in the best, latest, latest fashion and man, you got it all together, but I'm seeing you from a spiritual perspective and you don't understand, man, you're poor spiritually. You don't understand, man, that you're, you're like homeless spiritually. I mean, you're like, you're like on the lowest rung, man. You've got to deal with your spiritual reality. That's what Jesus is saying. And they were just clueless. They thought they were great. Man, we're awesome. Do you know how much I gave to the church last year? You know, and I, I should be good. And he's like, no, 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 no. There's a major spiritual issue here. You know, you're lukewarm when you minimize when you excuse, when you rationalize your own sin, and when confronted, you're very quick to be defensive and very quick to blame others. You know you're lukewarm when you, when you watch something that's godless and not wince. When you hear something that's godless and you don't hurt. You know, you're, you're, you're teetering on the edge when you applaud the very things that the world applauds and not the things that God applauds. Psalm 139 says, search me, O God, know my heart, test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me. That phrase is never said 
by a lukewarm person. So let me ask you again, are you lukewarm? Listen, this is the hidden danger just under the surface. This is the shark in the water. This is the danger to your soul. Now listen, I, I understand that these are hard words, right? I mean, I've been, this has been working on me all week long. And I have to say, there's been, there been a lot of time I've spent this week saying, God, am I growing lukewarm? God, am I at this place where I fixate on these things and not on you? God, is there a place where, man, your, my passion for you, God, is diminishing and my love for others is, 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 is turning lukewarm, not fresh and new? What do we do? What do we do if we find ourselves growing lukewarm? Well, look at what Jesus said in verse 18. He said, I advise you to buy from me gold refined by fire so you may be rich, white clothes so you may be dressed and your shameful nakedness not be exposed, ointment to spread on your eyes so that you may see. As many as I love, I rebuke and discipline, so be zealous and repent. What is he saying here? Well, I, I think what he's saying is this. You need to refocus your life on the things that really matter. He said, you need to refocus your life on the things that really matter. If all of a sudden the Spirit of God is saying, hey, you're getting dangerously close to being lukewarm. I got to refocus my life on the things that really matter. What were the things that really mattered uh, to this uh, city and to this group of people? It was their wealth. It was their, uh, it was the clothing that they manufactured. It was the ISAB that their, that, that their, uh, that their uh, medical schools produced. And he said, you know what? You need to take those things and turn those towards spiritual things. Hey, yeah, you may have gold, but seek spiritual wealth. Seek spiritual riches. Lay up your treasure in heaven. Yeah, you may be clothed in the latest label, but, but seek to be clothed in white in the good deeds that please God. Yeah, you may have eye salve for your eyes, but ask God to open your spiritual eyes to see your own heart and your own soul. How would Jesus say it to us today? Maybe you'd say, yeah, you're so focused on your reputation, but why don't you seek my reputation? You're so focused on your investments, but why don't you start investing in spiritual things? You're really focused right now on your family, but what about the eternal family of God? What would it take? What would it take for you to really refocus your attention on the things that really, really matter? What would it take? Notice what he says at the end of that uh, verse 19. He said, be zealous and repent. That word zealous means um, hot, all right? <laughs> to, be, to be fired up. He said, hey, fire yourself up again. Stir up your faith. 
Hey, get with the program, man. Let's go. Let's, let's fire yourself up in your heart for God and the things of God. You got to do something about that. And I think this is really important because remember what I said? You take a cup of a hot uh, coffee and you put it on the counter. Over time, it will gradually grow lukewarm. And what do you have to do? If you find a lukewarm cup of coffee, you're going to throw it out. Or what are you going to do? You're going to put it in the microwave. You're going to fire it up again so that it's good. And so he said, you have to do something to fire yourself up. You got to do something. That's our responsibility. So if we see that we're growing lukewarm, we have to do something. Now, maybe for you, that means, man, I got to get back to worship again. I got to make that a top priority every week for our family. Or maybe it's like, you know what? I'm going to have to have a serious conversation with my spouse about our priorities in our family. And we've been allowing some, all these distractions to get in the way, the things that really matter. We've got to get back on point. Maybe it's going on a mission trip. Maybe it's serving in the church. Maybe it's getting out in our community and serving someone else. Maybe it's teaching a Bible study. Maybe it's something like that. Hey, just do something. Right? Just do something that stirs up your heart for God again. That's what he means. Be zealous. Do something to stir up your heart. And then he said, repent. It means to turn around. It means to do a 180. I mean, I'm going this way and I'm, I'm just so being lured into uh, all my thoughts about these things of this world. I got to turn around. And I got to say, you know what? I'm going to be different. Hey, let me just say this. It's okay to be weird for Jesus, all right? In fact, if you're not a little weird, you're probably not walking with God. So, somebody give me an amen on that one. Are, are you with me here? Like, man, I just want to be that kind of weird person, you know, bringing up Jesus, you know, in my, in my conversation. They would just think I'm weird. Hey, I'd, I'd like a little more weird. I need to be a little more weird. You need to be a little more weird. Forget what people think. And a hundred years from now, do you, want, do you really care what somebody thought about you? No. Do you care at that moment what God thinks about you? Absolutely. We need a little more weird in our, in our churches and in our own hearts and in our own lives. That's why Jesus said, man, you got to get hot. You got to turn around. Stir yourself up again, he says. And then he closes with these words, which is probably one of the most uh, popular words of this word to the church at Laodicea. Look at verse 20. He said, see, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and eat with him and he with me. In the late 19th century, a British artist named William Hunt painted a portrait called, which he named, The Light of the World. Um, he painted this in his early 20s not long after he had heard the gospel and given his life to Christ. It depicts Jesus standing at the door, Revelation 3.20, knocking on the door. After he worked on it for over a year, he presented it to some of his colleagues to ask them for their critique. And one of them quickly pointed out, they said, well, you, you left out the doorknob that's on the door. And he said, oh, no, no, no. This door can only be opened from the inside. Here is Jesus saying, hey, church, Laodicean church, 
I'm knocking. How sad it is that this church had literally pushed Jesus out and they didn't even know it. How sad it is that they were pushed Jesus out, but here is Jesus. What grace he gives us that he's still knocking. He's still knocking. Let me ask you something. Have you pushed Jesus out? God, I'm not, I don't want you in our finances. I'll handle that. I don't want you in my sex life. I'm going to handle that. I don't, I don't want you in my friendships. I'm going to handle that. I don't want you in my career, God. I'll handle that. Jesus, you just stay over there. I'll get to you when I need you. But by the grace of God, he's knocking. He's still knocking. And he said, if you'll open up your heart to me, then I'll come in. I'll be with you. But listen, it's the doorknob is on the inside. You have to make that choice. Would you bow your heads with me for just a minute? Maybe you're here today and you've never given your life to Christ. Maybe right now the Spirit of God is knocking on the door of your heart saying, hey, you, I'm outside. You don't, I'm not in with you. I, you don't know me and I don't know you. Then today at this moment, you can cry out to God. Say, Lord, forgive me. Lord Jesus, have mercy on me. Come into my life. Change me. Would you take a moment to be still? Revelation chapter 3, verse 21 says, He who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. What is the Spirit of God saying to you? What is He saying to you?